Helen, can I replace you with my baby? Hello, listeners from Ollie's house. Yes, we are in... I nearly said deepest Hertfordshire there, just because that's a cliche to say deepest. But actually, it's barely Hertfordshire. I'm just on the border of Greater London, really. It's shallow Hertfordshire. Yeah, exactly. We are in the shallows of Hertfordshire. We're on the hem of Hertfordshire's petticoats. Coco is in the room. But she's asleep, so I don't think you're going to hear her on mic today. Coco's very into Martin, so maybe they'll go off and just play with each other while we have to get work done. Yeah, if your chat is getting a bit boring, I'll go and hang out with Coco for a bit. Harvey, your absolutely delightful baby, had uh, a big knot on Martin's toe just now. It's irresistible. To everyone else, it's not irresistible. I've got lovely feminine feet. I'm not saying you don't, but I just thought of all the things in his purview that he could have put in his mouth. I wouldn't have thought that was top 20. Yeah, I, I think he's teething. I say mm. think because you can't see any evidence of teeth coming through at the moment. No bone has penetrated the gum. But there's a lot subcutaneously that could be happening tooth-wise. There's a lot of whining and whinging yeah. and then eating lots of really bizarre shit like that. So I think it. I think somehow, Martin, the roughage of your sock-covered <laughs> toe was uh, soothing to his gums. Who can say what's going on in Harvey's mind? Now, you, the reason we're here, of course, in my house, although it's delightful to have you, uh, is we can't go to AMT Towers because it sort of no longer exists anymore. Well, it's now on the market. <laughs> so if any of you want to buy it and memorialise it, that option You can make exists. it into a museum like Graceland. You moved out thinking that the landlord was going to move back in for himself to live there. Which was his plan. And then uh, a week before you moved out, a week after we recorded the last episode, the estate agent called you and said, oh, actually, would you like to buy it? Are you still interested in buying it, right? This would have been useful a couple of months ago. Yeah. But at that point, we'd psychologically moved on because we'd had to. And all your life is in boxes around your feet. Yes, we'd booked the movers and cancelled everything. So you sort of had the option to stay in AMT Towers, but you decided to progress with life as you had planned yeah. it. Which is what? Where are you actually living now? Oh, we're living in my brother's attic in Streatham. Okay. With um, all the shit that he doesn't use, like a cross trainer. And which, which brother is this? Is this the Andy. comedian or the funny one? Okay. <laughs> oh. Ouch. Well, they're a lovely compliment to Rick, who yeah. is very funny, He's as you can hear in episode swordsman. 200. So, okay, so you're in Andy's attic. Yeah. Um, is it a converted... It's a bedroom anyway, is it? It's, it's a proper room. Yeah. And it has windows okay. that open. And uh, we've got our bed in there and the telly and a chaise long that was up there anyway. So we've got quite a, a nice arrangement. When I was 14, I would have thought you were really cool. I'll tell you specifically yeah. why. I mean, I know like living in an attic is a bit Dawson's Creek anyway. But um, when I was yeah, 14... Katie Holmes keeps coming through the window. We've had to, we've had to lock it. Her and pigeons. <laughs> when I was 14, I had a friend called Lucy who had a brother called Josh. Mm-hmm. Josh, anyway, quite an aspirational name for a fellow teenage boy, I think. Really? You're like, eh, Josh is kind of cool. And I'll tell you how cool Josh was. Josh used to get given condoms by his mum because she was being liberal and cool. Do you think that was to make him associate sex with her being a responsible <laughs> parent and that meant he was less likely to have it? She was just one of those mums who was like, look, I know you're going to partake of hashish, yeah. but do it in my house <laughs> rather than out the street. Let me roll it for you. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, she used to buy condoms for him, which I just thought, Christ, he's 14, he's so cool, I'm never going to be that cool. Anyway, Josh lived in the attic in their house. They built him a mm-hmm. room in the attic and he had to get to it via a ladder. Oh. And oh. I just thought this is just the coolest thing in the world. That is cool. Yeah. But you don't have a ladder at stairs, is it? We have really terrifyingly steep stairs. Okay. 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 My sister-in-law said, yeah, I fall down those all the time. Uh, here's a question from Karen in Atlanta. I am watching the Great British Baking Show. <laughs> That's what- 
why, why are you laughing? That's what they call Great British Bake Off in the States. Is, is that what really? they call it? Yeah. And to be honest, Bake Off is not a term that makes any sense. No, and neither does Strictly mm. Come Dancing. It makes more sense to call it Dancing with the Stars. But I laughed mm. along with Martin because it sounds stupid to our ears. It's a, it sounds quite literal, doesn't it? Uh, and they're doing a segment, says Karen, about meringue. Yep. That'd be a good segment, I suppose. Yeah, a bit Splendid. Yeah. Although hard to segment off of course meringue isn't it shatters doesn't it well exactly crunchy but then also creamy like hard to just you, know, you could, even you could slice. slice it with a palette knife you could try uh, meringue takes many egg whites yes but no yolks yolk will ruin it mm. tracer yolk that's no ruined. yolk folks oh. so helen answer me this before refrigeration what would the yolks have been used for i know they would not have been wasted as a dozen eggs would be worth a lot but for the home cook i cannot think of a use for a dozen egg yolks without being able to hold on to them for a few days. Now, she doesn't add this, but I'm going to. Okay. Martin, hold your tongue. Right. I know you have a lot of egg thoughts. It's obvious, so obvious. Yeah, but just think of our listeners. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Helen, what do you do with egg yolks? Mayonnaise. You would thicken sauces with them. You could make a hollandaise. Custard. So if you were using, say, the egg whites in a meringue, you could make a lemon curd, and then you would have a lemon meringue pie using both halves of the egg. Well done. And then egg glazes, so for making pies shiny and uh, bread shiny. And also, you could just use them to enrich food because there's a lot of nutrition in egg yolk. And they would feed them to invalids. So if you weren't really capable of uh, chewing or digesting much food, you could have a yolk. They would put them in drinks. Have an egg flip. I'm more likely to have a white that I don't need than a yolk because a yolk you can use to bind things like a burger. They used to make paint out of egg yolks. There were lots of use for eggs. No, this isn't practical advice. A yolk is more useful than the white. Fine, it is. Hi, Helen Nolly. It's Dom. Archie. Hi, And we're all in Edinburgh for the Fringe. The famous Kia song, My Neck, My Back, My Pussy and My Crack, opens with the lines, All my ladies pop your pussy like this. And we were just wondering, right, what is popping your pussy? How does one pop a pussy? Archie. I, I just don't know, Dom. Two gays try to find out what popping a pussy is, and we just don't know. Please, please help us, because even the heterosexual lady with us has got no idea what she's doing. She's got no idea. Ellie? Sorry, I just don't know. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, Okay, well, is it to do with the clitoris or is it to do with the vaginal hood? Let's start with that. Anatomically, is, what is she describing? You have really zoomed in, haven't you? <laughs> yeah, well, I just want to get to the point here. <laughs> what it usually refers to is a dance move. And that dance move is when a woman keeps her, her legs straight mm-hmm. and her hindquarters aloft, but then bends down very far to the floor, thus making her pussy available from behind. Right. Then you might, like, oscillate. So it's like saying yeah. that pussy really pops, like if, if you were wearing a bright colour. Like, <laughs> right. Like wearing a shiny suit. <laughs> that posture really brings out your pussy. Yeah, but the, the point about this particular track, which <laughs> Martin's I Martin's have... laughing, you can only hit the chair, is completely <laughs> creaking. <laughs> but the thing about this song in particular, particular uh, which some listeners won't remember if you're young enough to have not been to a nightclub in the early noughties this perhaps well, won't have passed your radar except to soundtrack vine videos of cats it's the one our grandparents danced to uh, in the 30s <laughs> it's not a song that's got any innuendo in it it is a, it is a precise description it is single entendre yes it's it's telling you here are the instructions for how i would like you to sexually yeah. pleasure me set to music yep yeah. 
um, which actually I was always a big fan of. I think it's a good tune. Well, you, what you were a big fan of, just people being literal, very clear about what they wanted. Well, it's communica- about communicating desires as well as consent, isn't it? it? No, it's more just this particular track. I mean, for me, as for many people listening, it will conjure up specifically the summer of, I think it was 2001, might have been 2002, when it came out. Early noughts, certainly. Um, yeah. And for me, I was actually nightclubbing in Falaraki at the time. Oh, perfect and place to hear it. Part of your lost years. What's good about it is... I think for any kind of white middle-class English guy in Falaraki dancing to this that summer, it was perfect because because the lyrics were so specific. It was like, yeah, we're dancing to a song that's about sex, so that makes it more likely that you and I might have sex afterwards. At the same time, it's so explicit and ridiculous that it's like almost unlike a big ironic. Yeah. So it's just perfect. Yeah. Just hit every button. Lick my neck, lick my back, lick my pussy, lick my crack. Pussy and my crack. And my crack. And you lick don't... Lick it right, lick it good, lick my pussy just like you should. Do you get many songs referring to analingus in the charts? You do not, yeah. to well, my not knowledge. not so directly Well, again. this is the thing. Yeah, you get lots of innuendo. Mm. Um, actually, you know, when you think about the songs that have been much more popular and much more remembered and still get much mm. more airplay that are clearly about that. I mean, Summer of 69, the obvious yeah. one. That's actually fairly explicit in the title. It's just that mm. then the lyrics suggest an alternative interpretation they're very apple pie aren't they the lyrics yeah and it's the same like, my first real blow job <laughs> i got a question email your question to answer me this podcast at googlemail.com answer me this podcast at googlemail.com answer me this podcast at googlemail.com here is a question from Alice from Hampshire who says, My mother was recently given some space cake by some friends in the village where she lives. Amazing. She was reluctant to have any of it as they have introduced random drug testing at her work. Wow. She is a PA to a lawyer. Almost everything about your email so far, Alice, is amazing. Fantastic. I argued that one, the space cake is probably not very strong as her friend's neighbour grows it himself. I'm not sure I'd agree with that. Could be super strong, couldn't Uh, it? You know, how often does a homemade cookie have more chocolate chips in it than one you'd buy from the supermarket? Very good point. Yeah, you know, you're more likely to be generous with the ingredients if you make it for your own consumption. Two, I'd be happy to give her a urine sample to use at work as I don't take drugs. Okay. However, she would probably have to carry around the sample all the time just in case. You know, I've never really seen that depicted in films as a woman. It's usually a man with like condom strapped to his leg or whatever so that he can with a nail and eye, isn't it? That's one of the main plot points of a nail and eye that he has a child's piss in a bottle. But if a woman under observation, I don't know even how she'd fake it. Fake pants or something. Well, if you were wearing a skirt, you could shove the you know the sample bottle up your skirt and then like uh, draw out one that had been taped to your inner thigh yeah anyway anyway ollie answer me this mm-hmm. does a urine sample go off and also could the test detect if the sample was not human and in fact a cat which is another option i'm not sure that is another option it sounds quite difficult doesn't it in, in her desk at work. <laughs> so i'm just yeah i'll just go and i'll take my cat with me because otherwise i get stage fright when i have to urinate in front of a drug tester i mean i've got a very good relationship with my cat as you know you have. And cat. i can't imagine trying to get her to piss into a vial yeah. I mean, maybe a male cat, but then they're going to be even harder to pin down. Yeah. And also, cat urine absolutely stinks. stinks yes. So I think that would tip them off even if the chemical composition of the urine weren't quite dissimilar because cats secrete 10 times more ammonia than humans. Well, particularly if you've been carrying it around for weeks. <laughs> Dog urine is more similar to a human's. Oh, although, okay. according to a site I was reading with advice for people uh, to get through drug tests, even if they have been using marijuana, is um, that dog urine has a different specific gravity. 
so right. I, I don't know how you can fix well, that. Okay. Could, well, that's just density. You could probably water it down. I was reading something as well about people who tried drying out their own urine and then reconstituting it for the drugs test, but apparently it doesn't work very well. No, so this is the thing. Um, you, you, your main question, does urine go off? That's a subjective term, isn't it? Going off. I mean, you know, it's, it's just not, like it's a like, fine wine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but what happens is it immediately, once it's out of the body, begins to oxidize and decompose. Mm. So, unless you happen to give your urine sample to your mum on certainly the week, but preferably the day that yeah. she's going to get this spot urine check, um, it is going to stink of ammonia. So, that's, as you say, going to tip them off with cat urine. It would be the same with human urine because after a week it's going to sting. Or it's going to be very dark, or both. Right. Um, so again, it's not, it's not going to look right. Mm. Um, so there is a way to mitigate you, that, which is refrigeration. Yeah, could you keep it in the office freezer? Yes, but then the <laughs> issue with that is if it's a spot check, obviously they're going to notice that it's cold. Yeah. Uh, and that isn't how it comes out of your body, like, body yeah, temperature. I'm just frigid. <laughs> I mean, obviously the real answer here is uh, your mum if she is worried about getting done in a drug test, can't have marijuana. That's the whole point of the drug test. That's why it's there. Yeah. Um, but if she was committed to trying to have some space cake and Free cheating space her way cake. around it, she could take solace in the fact that if she's eating it, it's less likely to hang around in her body, particularly infrequently than if she was smoking it regularly. Okay. Um, so it could be, but you don't know until you test it. It could mm. be that even after 24 hours, it was flushed out of her system. Yep. It's all to do with the marijuana attaching itself to your fat cells. Mm-hmm. And apparently, if you're an infrequent user, it's less likely to hang around. So maybe also, if the space cake had a high fat content, then it would pass through her body faster? <laughs> Possibly. And and if she ate it on Friday night, by the end of the weekend, when she had to go back to work, maybe it would have uh, gone maybe. through anyway. But it could last in her system for a week or 10 days. So you don't right. know that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say... All things considered, if she's insistent on it, the best thing to do would actually be to go to one of those dodgy shops like the one that used to be across the road from your house. What was it called? Crystal Highs or something? Ah, uh, what is it called? You've got a head shop. Yeah, we did have a head shop. What's just it called? So many amenities Sk- near the old place. Skunk Works. Yeah. yeah, Skunk Works. Is that what it's called? UK Skunk Works. Right, okay. So pop into your nearest branch of UK Skunk Works or similar. Anyway, they will sell, or they might not, but many do, a sort of synthetic urine for this purpose. Uh-huh. Apparently that works better than when they try and sell you like a herbal drink that dilutes your body. All that's right, bollocks. Right. Uh, but the synthetic urine, if they're doing a very basic lab test, it does. It, it, it's essentially the same stuff they use when they're setting up the lab equipment and calibrating it. Mm-hmm. So the lab equipment is fooled, but the human being holding it might look at it and say, yeah, that's not piss. So you're taking a risk. It depends how seriously they're doing the test. The fact that you're a lawyer rather than a sportsman I'm guessing that actually they're not going to do a really serious test. Well, she's the PA to a lawyer exactly. as well. They're because, just going to send it off and you'll probably get away with that. Because lawyers, are, there are problems if you have a criminal record. There are problems with being a practicing lawyer. But yes. PA, I'd imagine, not such rigid rules. A little tip, though, for eating space cake if your mum is giving it a try. It sounds like you don't have any experience. Weirdly, <laughs> even though I'm not the most experienced in matters of uh, recreational drugs, it's one of the few things I do have experience of from my gap year. Um <laughs> Wait to see if yeah. the first slice has had any effect. I've I've heard at least yeah. thirty minutes. I'd go as Probably far as 45. ninety. Yeah, I, I I waited forty-five and then had the second. Yeah, I mean it was in many ways the best night of my life, <laughs> but it was also one of the worst early mornings. So you know, it, it kind of creeps up on you, doesn't it? You go, oh, I feel absolutely fine, and then uh... and then like hysterical laughter. Which oh, great. I don't normally find a lamp that funny. Yeah, exactly. But th- but then complete paranoia, like everyone's trying to shoot me and kill me. Wonderful. So, you know, Best night of my life. Just, your just mind, one slice. Your mileage may vary. <laughs> <laughs> How many social networks are you on? Vivo, Friendster, Path, You, Porn, MySpace, Ping, 
want to be our pal, go to this URL. Facebook.com slash answer me this. Or Twitter.com slash Helen and Dolly. But please don't follow us in real life. Feels weird saying this sitting in my own house rather than yours. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, but if you'd like to leave us a question in your own voice, don't call my landline. I'd find that really weird. Although that number is. <laughs> I did actually once tune into LBC and hear Ian Collins give out his mobile number as the number to call in. Whoops. He didn't even know he'd done it. Because just knee-jerk really? you do, don't yeah. you? Like, you? Yeah, exactly. It becomes like second nature muscle memory when you're presenting a show, you know, 0345. And he just, he was saying, mm. so what should we do with all these immigrants then? Oh seven seven nine five four six two. I was like, what? <laughs> no, one, no one seemed to notice. It was amazing. I wonder if he got many calls. Yeah, probably, yeah. And now they're his best friends. Anyway, the good thing is our, our landline is virtual. It's hosted by Skype. So you can either Skype us at Answer Me This yep. or you can call it and no actual phone rings anywhere. We just get your message. Yeah, here is the number to dial. 02081235807. And let's hear who's been in touch today. Hi, my name is Lilarina from the internet. Um, I'm planning my wedding at the moment, and it's got me thinking a lot about wedding things. Specifically, is there a record for the person who's been married the most time? Answer me this, Helen and Ali. Do you mean married to the same person or to different people? Oh, I interpreted different people, but now you've aroused my suspicions about the former. I'd like the answer to both, please. Okay, well, the answer to the different people so far, it feels like all these records are a little bit old and they're there for the breaking people if you want to. (laughs) The record holder for the most monogamous marriages uh, (laughs) is Glyn Wolfe. Uh-huh. Uh, with 29. Wow. Shortest wow. marriage, 19 days. Longest, 11 years. And the final one, a year before his death in 1997, was a publicity stunt to the most married woman, Linda Wolf. Oh, that's really sad, isn't it? Yeah, it's mm. awful. It's because they didn't really have a marriage after. I think she hung around for a week and then went home. And then a year later, he died. Um, and she's been married 23 times, including three times to the same husband. Last thing I could find out is that she's living in an old folks home and she would be up for marrying again because uh, she misses it. Wow. Then the people who are the most married are Lauren and David Blair of Hendersonville, Tennessee. So they've got married to each other numerous times. To each other since their first wedding in 1984. Mm -hmm. How many times? I'm going to be cynical here and say, much like with the last story, probably at some point, you know, a a tabloid newspaper or a local radio station has intervened and generated this. So I think naturally it is possible that a couple... I mean, it's obviously possible that a couple divorce, regret it, get married again. Yeah. So it's not beyond the stretch of imagination that even a normal couple, that might happen one more time to. Yeah. Well, you know. I think in this case, they just kept having weddings. Okay. What but do they you mean? Have, they have continued... They didn't fall out? No, they've remained married to each oh, other. Okay. But they have the official world record for the most oh, weddings. Oh, bullshit, isn't it? Okay, right. That doesn't so, count. So in my, That's in, not Guinness ma- says it counts. No, it's not. That's not, not the most marriages because you can't marry unless you're not already married. Exactly, I all right. All right, well yeah. then, all right, fine. Well, how many weddings okay, but, have they had? Oh, well, they could have one every year. They could have had 50 or 80 or something. They've had 109, according to articles from 2014. <laughs> oh, so they've probably added a few more. And, um, Wankers. So, so here's, yeah. here's the story. <laughs> Those guys. 
Here's the story. They met in the canteen of Universal Studios Hollywood, where they both worked. Okay, I'm a bit more interested now. And she said, we were living in Los Angeles and we wanted to get married in a particular place there. Uh, David's parents are from Nashville and they won't fly. So we had a wedding on a Sunday in Los Angeles. Fine. Flew to Chicago on Monday and had a wedding with my family. So far, so normal. And his family. Okay, why did you have another hundred? You And those? then yeah. we had a get married for free coupon when we went on our honeymoon in Vegas. Right. And then they started wondering what the record was for the number of weddings and decided to try to break it. Okay, I see that that's a fun, drunken conversation to have in Vegas on your honeymoon. I still think to actually follow through and do a hundred is silly. Well, it's a hobby. Ah. My parents had two weddings, but not really voluntarily. They had to have a civil one here and then to appease the Jewish side of the family, a wedding in Israel. Yeah. So I suppose quite a lot of people have more than one wedding. Which, incidentally, which one did they prefer? Because oh, I, they know, ha- the Jewish one was just for obligation. For obligation, yeah, but actually... They didn't have fun at it at all. No fun. The Jew side of my family are not really the fun, boisterous, hey, put a chair in the air type Jews. <laughs> <laughs> I gather that's what happens at Jewish weddings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was more of a sort of mournful, cynical, let's all sit around and say this is a terrible yeah. idea kind of Yeah, and it was way. 18 months after the official wedding. The thing is, al- although you do that completely at religious obligation, I still imagine that just being in a place that has that much significance in history for the people who are there might rub off on you. You might think, well... This is a sort of spiritual experience, even if I don't really want to be here. No, I think it was... Uh, my mum really hated it. She, she really no. hated the... What's it? Is it, is it called the mikveh? The, the ceremonial baths? Yeah. She hated that. Oh, she really hated that. But yeah. she and my dad did go and see Masada, which she said was like really incredible and very affecting. Yes, yes. But not good. marital. Yeah. They no. didn't get married at Masada. It's not generally a good... Which, remind me again which one Masada is? It's a mountain where lots of people were massacred. No, well, um, the, the Jews... They all killed themselves because were there was a siege or something like yes. that. Yeah, the Jews were being sieged by the Romans, so they killed themselves. That's the one I was taken. thinking of. So that, I mean, that does sound like the most romantic place to take your recent bride slash husband. Feels in keeping with my parents' relationship. <laughs> that's the... But they're still alive, so... Oh, I've, well, I've, I mean, they could beat this record. This is quite a sad world record. Bertie and Jesse Wood have the Guinness record for the oldest couple to divorce. They divorced oh. when they were 98 years old. So, you know, that wow. I think is fine. I don't, you know, you only have one life. Admittedly, when you're 98, you do think, well, I've stuck with this for this long. But actually, you know, you could live another five years at that point you might as well make them less miserable if, if you're unhappy I couldn't think, you just live apart why go through all the legal stuff do you think at that point you're just like I don't want to die married to this person yeah, 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 it's right. so I terrible I don't want them to inherit I don't want them to inherit half the house I don't want people to have a discussion about should we be buried next uh, to each other yeah. Yeah, yeah you know at least you make it clear aren't you to future generations and it's a talking point they must have known isn't love grand <laughs> <laughs> well since we are talking about marriage and weddings I think for today's intermission, let's hear a little bit of the Answer Me This Love album. Ah, you're doing a link. Segway. You're doing a seamless link into yep. one of our paid-for premium products. I am running straight into its arms for a cosy audio embrace. Yes, listeners. If the idea of an hour of us talking romance in your ears makes you feel all gooey and excited. Or if you want to hear about other people's gooey excitement or gooey horrible problems. Then have we got a product for you. Yes. Uh, it is an exclusive album. You will not hear this content apart from these little snippets on the show. You will not hear this content anywhere else. You have to pay for it. You have to buy it from us. It's called Answer Me This Love, and it's available now at answermethisstore.com or on iTunes and Amazon. You may have missed it when it came out during our break earlier this year. And uh, if so, it's waiting for you. Yeah. With Juliet on the balcony. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All new for 2016. That's what they'd put on a DVD cover for it, if yeah. it was a DVD. But if you're listening to this in several years' time, love is ageless. Yeah, <laughs> also true. <laughs> 
It's so hard to explain Take Me Out, but the bare facts of it are hosted by Paddy McGuinness, who is a man with, with comedy affiliations. With, yeah, with no discernible talent of his own, but yet, somehow, somehow there's charm there. He's, he's incredible at this he's job. He's very good at this. And then One there thing, are, yeah. So there are these women, they're each standing behind a lectern with their name on and a light. Yes. How many of them are there? I think it's 30. 30, yeah. yeah. And then a single man comes down to the studio in a tube. Yeah, it's a lift. It's the love lift. Yeah, but it's shaped like a tube. It is. I yeah. feel like that's important, like he's coming down the urethra yeah, exactly. of the show. Sure. And then if they don't like the look of him, they turn their lights off. Correct. Which means they're eliminating themselves from the chance of having a date with him. Yes. But then he's asked to do a series of challenges to prove that he's in some way attractive. And obviously yeah. more of them turn their lights off in response. Yeah, it's like a pageant because he has to show off a talent, which sometimes is like breaking dancing or kicking a football around. Getting his muscles on display. Yes. And then there'll be a video with one of his friends going, all he eats is korma. Oh, he loves his korma. <laughs> loves his mum. And as soon as they like love their mums, all the yeah. lights go off. Uh-huh. Which is yeah, interesting, isn't mean, it? isn't it? Yeah. But then he can run around turning off the lights of the women he finds unattractive. Yeah, so it's equal as well, even though it Ish. is horribly objectifying. It's sort of like a cattle market, but where the cattle get some dominion over who buys and slaughters them. Well, we have just seen the end of the Rio Olympics. Well, I didn't actually see the end, but a lot of people have seen the end of the mm. Rio Olympics. It has just happened. You'd have had to have stayed up till four in the morning to see the end. I'm too old. And here is an Olympic question from Greg in Gibraltar, who says, Ollie, answer me this. Mm-hmm. Are Olympic medals really gold, silver and bronze? No. Ah, oh, are they chocolate coins? <laughs> Dipped in gold. Oh. <laughs> the bronze ones are kind of bronze. I mean, yeah. bronze isn't a metal, obviously. So well, it's, not, a, it's a metal alloy. The silver is 100% silver. Really? Mm. Um, the gold is 99% silver. So it's actually wow. identical to the silver models, and then they just dip it in a thin layer of gold plating. And the reason for that is price. So with the very thin layer of gold plating on... According to this year's gold markets, the gold medals, the metals within them, are worth $548. Right. If it were made out of solid gold, uh, and the last time Olympic fans that that happened was in Stockholm in 1912, uh, it would cost $21,674. So that, when you obviously are making multiple gold medals, would add an extra $17 million on Rio 2016's budget. I see the problem. Yeah. And that's just more budget taken away from the Paralympics, isn't it? Yeah, I don't know what they're going to give out of the Paralympics. Probably chocolate coins, (laughs) the way things are going at the moment. Also, gold is very soft. So if you made a medal out of solid gold, it would probably lose its features really fast. I mean, what's actually happening now is that some of the Olympians this year have turned up with uh, crystals on their outfits. Uh, The women's gymnastics team from the USA, for example, are wearing so much Swarovski crystal that their outfits are worth more than the gold medals they're winning. (laughs) Um, So they've got £912 worth of crystals sewn into their outfits. Each? Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. But the medals this year are the heaviest in the history of the Summer Olympics. Why? Um, well, just because of the size of them mainly. Right. Um, so by way of comparison, in 1912, they were 33 millimetres in diameter when mm-hmm. they last had a fully gold one. Yep. Now they're 85 millimetres. Wow, that quite is a lot bigger. hefty. That's yeah. like wearing a coaster around your neck. 500 grams, apparently. Uh-huh. Is that heavy? Pretty heavy for a necklace, I think. Especially yeah. if you, half, half a bag of sugar, isn't it? Yeah. yeah if you're <laughs> running up the stairs wearing it, it would hit painfully into uh, your breastbone. Well, we have a, a further question of Olympics. In fact, we had hundreds, as you might imagine, because you've all been watching the Olympics and sending us questions. But uh, this is one that I like. It's from Adam in Yorkshire, who says, Helen, answer me this. What do the rings symbolise in the Olympics logo? And why are they in those colours? Here is the explanation from Baron de Coubertin, who had the idea 
to revive the Olympic Games. Okay, that sounds like a decent source. Yeah, and he founded the International Olympic Committee and he first drew the rings in a letter to a colleague after the 1912 Stockholm Games. Uh, Credible, credible source. He said, a white background with five interlaced rings in the centre, blue, yellow, black, green and red, is symbolic. It represents the five inhabited continents of the world. Yeah, good. I I didn't know that, but I guessed continents, yeah. Yeah. But I don't know why the colours. United by Olympism, while the six colours, including the white background, Uh are those that appear on all the national flags of the world at the present time. Wow. Mm. So every country's flag would be partially represented, unless it's had an update since then. And the reason they're interlocking is symbolic that the Olympic Games are intended for all nations to join together in this common pursuit it's a it's a good logo, isn't it? It's a strong brand. Yeah, well, they're they're quite protective about how it's represented as well. You're not allowed to put those rings on a dark background, and um, the area covered by the rings contained in an Olympic emblem cannot exceed one third of the total area of the emblem. Why? I don't know. Does it just kind of look a bit funky and odd? Yeah, maybe it, it's just throws off the balance or maybe it just looks like the audi logo if you do that yeah also that do the rio olympics have uh, weird characters that look like penises like yes did... not no they don't like penises they look so martin's referring here to the mascot when lock and manville that we had last, well done last uh, time. mandeville i think mandeville. Oh, yeah. yeah but yeah this year they've got one that looks like a cat but isn't it's some brazilian oh, okay. wild animal right. um with animated features but um this is interesting i i watch the greco-roman wrestling now yes uh, as a result all covered in our hit album Answer Me This Sports Day in 2012 <laughs> uh, as a result of the fact that the only ticket that I could get for the Olympics was for the Greco-Roman wrestling because no one wants to go to it I'm now a fan of Greco-Roman wrestling I watch it on the telly you said it was really fun it was really fun really interesting sport and is it only Greece and Italy that are allowed to compete <laughs> no the uh, Eastern Europeans are particularly good at it oh. um, but in the rules uh, at this Olympics the way that the coaches challenge a decision by the referee is by throwing an item into the ring and to make it kind of branded, I suppose, the item that they had to throw at the Rio Olympics was a stuffed toy version of the mascot. So you've got guys that are built like brick shit houses wearing tight vests, throwing each other over their heads and going, yeah. and then their manager objects to a point by throwing a stuffed cat into the ring. <laughs> it's the weirdest, weirdest contrast of images. This is the one time of the four-year cycle where I forget that I hate sport because I actually quite enjoy watching all the weird stuff. Yeah, but I've missed all the good stuff. I missed the horse dancing that everyone went crazy for. Yeah. I've missed synchronised diving, which is brilliant. I haven't even seen the pole vault. I've watched all of that and it's all been great. There was that guy who... Um, it was reported had knocked the uh, the pole vault bar off with his penis. Yes. And then he had to refute it, saying, it was not my penis, it was my leg, uh. I have no penis. <laughs> Here's a question from Sam in Norway, who says, I looked up Vienna on Wikipedia today, and it said that it is the capital and largest city of Austria. Also the name for my favourite kosher product. Ollie, answer me this. Are there any other large cities that are not the capital of that country? Loads! Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what he's saying, are there cities that are... The biggest city in the com- country, but not the capital. Yeah, there's absolutely... Shitloads! Okay, so, so the famous one, I guess, would be Sydney, right? Yeah. That's not the capital of Australia, even though most people is it, think is it is. Is it Canberra? Correct. Yeah, Canberra. Yeah. And, and Melbourne's bigger than Canberra Melbourne's well. bigger, Perth, yeah, exactly. Maybe? I think Melbourne was the capital for a while, though. Well, yeah, but Sydney never Europe- has been. Europeans went and founded Melbourne earlier than Sydney and Canberra. Right, yeah. Canberra was one of those places that people insult because they think it's boring, but that's often the way of like those designated capital cities that are built to be the administrative centre. In uh, the 2015 census, Washington, D.C. is only the 22nd most populous city in the U.S. Mm. Yeah, but at least that, that's iconic. Like, everyone knows the White House is in Washington. Yeah, but everyone knows the Statue of Liberty and... 
Yeah. Everyone knows the Hollywood sign. Golden Gate Bridge, the I, St. Louis Arch. I understand, but I still think Washington's done a good job at selling itself as the capital. It's okay, but New York, Los Angeles, Chicago, Houston and Philadelphia are all in the top five. Yeah. Number 22. Well, okay, where's the capital of Brazil, Tokyo Olympics? Is it Brasilia? It is. Well done. I'd never even heard of that. So it's not Rio and it's not Sao Paulo. Mm. It's Brasilia, which is, uh, it's like a new town they developed in the 60s. Yeah. It's like putting our capital in Stevenage. Or Telford. In Canada, Toronto, Montreal and Vancouver are all bigger than Ottawa. Yeah. But apparently in 1857, there were a few cities competing to be the capital of Canada. So to settle it, Queen Victoria chose Ottawa because it was centrally located between Montreal and Toronto. That's and a terrible reason. That, that happens a lot though, yeah. I think. Yeah, but a lot of capital cities are chosen as a compromise. Yes. And those are often the ones that get slagged off, apart from the new town ones. It's easy to be snooty from our position where we have a very well-established capital city. You know, South Africa has three capital cities. I did not know that. Really? Tell me more. Was it ever Cape Town? Tell me more. Tell me more. Cape Town is the legislative (laughs) centre. Pretoria is administrative. (laughs) Bloemfontein Judicial. That's amazing. So it's literal physical separation of the three branches of of government. Yeah. Did they put up a fight? Sort of. When they were creating the Union of South Africa, conflicting views on which city should hold the capital led to this compromise. And they thought that if the government had one centre, that place would have too much power. So Fascinating. I heard that according to the French constitution, there isn't a capital of France. Yeah. I mean, can you name one French city? (laughs) That's so French, isn't it? It's pretty impressive. Just acknowledge that Paris is what everyone thinks of. They're too cool for that. It's like, yeah, but we've got Versailles as well. Come on. They just don't want to be that obvious. <laughs> Is it the one with the big pointy tower? <laughs> don't know. Buff. <laughs> In this time of purse strings tightening, the internet's a smorgasbord of fabulous free things. Like showbiz news, no need for magazines stalking your old school friends. Videos of fat kids falling over, stealing films and music. Sharing photos of your nan, filing your tax return. But by far my favourite free thing to type is answer me this into Skype. Here's a question from Ben in St. Louis, Missouri, who says, My city in the US, St. Louis, just got its first ikea last year wow i didn't think wembley was 25 years ahead of anywhere in the u.s but uh <laughs> wow <laughs> uh, i'm generally of the impression that going to an ikea is an unpleasant experience uh it's I all about how you issue. do it yeah uh it's unpleasant if you carry all the boxes yourself mm-hmm. and you go on a saturday yeah i would go uh late and not with a loved one Correct. Ben continues, I find the names of the products to be frivolous, gimmicky, and annoying. Okay, well, I find it to be... um... Foreign and fun. Yeah, exactly. For example, they have a set of cutlery named Sedlig, which Google translates to moral in English. Mm -hmm. Why name a set of cutlery moral? What is so moral about it? It refuses to stab anyone in the neck. (laughs) IKEA's website says that it has 12,000 products, and I assume that each of them has a stupid and meaningless Swedish name. Well, you've just pointed out that it's not meaningless. It has a deep meaning about morality. You can't have it both ways. (laughs) Either it scales of morality or it's meaningless. I like the fact that as well that he's just got this uh, source of obcom that everyone else has kind of got tired of quite a while ago. Exactly, yeah. But it's still fresh in uh, different parts of the world so ollie answer me this how does ikea name its products is there logic in the system or is it all arbitrary all right ben chill out well also if they sell plural of one product uh i know the bookcases that we've got called billy 
not bothered about the other ones. And so if we have to get another one, we're like, well, go straight to the Billy bookcases and not trifle with the with the Nigel no, bookcases. No, Helen, I want a bookcase which is two metres wide and, and six feet tall. I want it to be descriptive, <laughs> not with a playful name. Well, OK, so you've already sort of suggested uh, something here. You've, you've noticed that uh, Nigel isn't a real bookcase, right? You just made that up. I was, I was <laughs> out of other names. Exactly. No, fine. So you've, you've noticed, even on a subliminal level, what's going on there. Mm-hmm. The bookcases are named after people. Right. right. So yes, there is a system. Uh, the bookcases are, well, either people or occupations. Oh. Um, so like uh, Sturman, uh, which is a helmsman, or Bondi, which is a peasant farmer. Right. The, and why would a bookcase be named after either job? I wonder. Well, it's it's not that the names are appropriate to the subgenre of item. Yeah. It all comes from the fact that the founder of IKEA, Ingvar Kamprad, is dyslexic. Um, and actually the whole way of um, sort of navigating the Ikea store and the whole lifestyle that he's selling was based around the idea of thinking differently about how you can sell and distribute furniture. That's fascinating. So is that why it's quite an instinctive progress that you make through the store? Yeah, exactly. And nice one. sort of works on the basis that, you know, people find it natural and easy to assemble flat pack furniture, which maybe dyslexics do, but I fucking don't. Um, <laughs> Not catering to dyspraxics. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> You'd think it'd be sympathetic. Um and it's part of his way of trying to remember when he first set up the store all the different product lines. He found it hard to remember chair five versus chair four. As mm. Yeah, who wouldn't? But if you categorise each type of furniture with a different style of name, then just by the name you can tell roughly what it is. Yeah, yeah. Right. So you could tell that Billy's a bookcase because bookcases are named after people or occupations. But I wonder why bookcases are named after both those things and not just people. Oh, it's a bit of a mess. Like, actually, pretty much everything in the store now that they do have thousands of lines includes names after places in sweden right so i think they've slightly run out uh, because when that when they started it was only the living room stuff that was named after places in sweden so Mm. coffee tables and bookshelves and sofas but now there's intersectionality a little bit Uh, but it's quite interesting beds wardrobes and hall furniture are named after places in norway Uh Uh, carpets are named after places in denmark uh, dining tables and chairs are named after places in finland Uh and the bathroom stuff is named after lakes and rivers so there's a system. It seems like classic mnemonic idea. Like, it's, if I give you a list of words and I say, you know, cup, horse, table, hmm. lamppost, you, you create a narrative which, which links them together. And it's like... It's a, I've got a great picture in my mind. Yeah. Horse with a cup walking past a lamppost there go. on its way to pick up a table from Ikea. <laughs> Perfect, 12, yeah. 12.99, yeah. aisle 50. Well, so, a horse lives outside, of course, so more like to go for the garden furniture table, uh, which would be named right. after a Scandinavian island. So the horse would know <laughs> where to find it. This system is... Unassailable. <laughs> also, Ikea at this point know that this naming policy has been a real conversation starter. Exactly. Not just this conversation, but many. Many previously. And, and you, get, you get a lot of blog posts going, is this an Ikea product or something completely made up? Yes. And that that's all to their good, isn't it? I'm sure that they didn't name whatever product it is fartful without knowing that that would generate some lols in the UK. They have a lot of international reach, and Scandinavians tend to be incredible at English. One in five Brits, apparently, was conceived in an IKEA bed. I'm sure that research came from IKEA itself, but Mm. even so, it's probably not too far off the mark, is it? That's extraordinary. I'm surprised it's only one in five. Imagine in St. Louis, what were they conceived on if they've not had IKEA before? Mm. The arch, I guess. (laughs) It is an intimate cubicle. Been such a thought-provoking show today, hasn't it? It has. But, <laughs> but 
listeners, please do provoke our thoughts with your questions by supplying them to us via email, phone and Skype for future episodes. Our contact details are on our website. Answermethispodcast.com Whereupon you can also find links to follow us on Twitter and Facebook and buy our old episodes and our apps and support the show with your money. Thank you. Yay. Thanks. Thanks, because you've got a kid's. Kid needs shoes. Growing up fast, he's crawling already. Yeah, actually, he doesn't need shoes at the moment. Okay. His feet are he too knee pads. ill-advanced. At, yes. At some point, he'll need shoes. He needs a, a soft toy in the shape of Martin's toe so that he can bite onto something healthily. Good point, and we're going to have to get that bespoke. Yeah. Mm. Not every toe will do. Yep, exactly. These bespoke Martin's feet toys don't buy themselves, listeners. Yeah. A lot of, lot of classic episodes are going to fund that. Yeah. If you want to get yourself uh, some more Answer Me This related audio and you want to fund <laughs> the bespoke Martin toe sculpture, maybe we could sell that them as well yeah, to, uh, absolutely. why not as they're on, ca- on cafe press yeah. Yeah. also remember if uh, you have heard everything that we've ever recorded then you, there's still a lot of stuff you can get on audible as well and you can give us a kickback that way yeah uh, get your free audiobook at answermethispodcast.com slash audible uh, I think that's all the business so uh, just remains for us to say uh, we hope to reconvene with you in two weeks time stay curious people bye, bye.